I came across a book this week uh, I was not familiar with. Um, it's a book called uh, OMG, How Children See God, and the author's name is Monica Parker. And apparently, Monica Parker um, uh, had received some interesting ideas from her own kids about what they thought God looked like or might be like, and then got the idea to solicit ideas from other kids. <clears throat> so she very intentionally got kids of all ages and different religious traditions and asked them to do some kind of drawing to describe what they thought God looked like. Uh, and I want to share just a few of those pictures with you this morning. Um, so if you put that first one up, um, this is God as, I think, a red-haired superhero. Uh, and Brandon, who's eight, says, I wish God could give radioactive powers. That would be pretty cool. Okay. Uh, let's keep going. Um, this is uh, God is a superhero for the world. God's got a G on there. I love it. Uh, and I think that's uh, Anaya. I can't read. Age five. Okay. Uh, I love this one. Uh, Gabby, age nine, says, God has giant ears so he can hear everything we are saying. <laughs> love the idea and the picture. Uh, okay. This, uh, this one says, God lives inside every living thing. So my doctor has seen God when he cuts people open. <laughs> Remy, age seven. Uh, really good idea, right? But a little creepy in the implementation. Okay. Um, this one says, uh, I believe that, uh, it's hard for me to read this too. I, I believe that God is just a theory of the human mind. God is whatever you imagine. God wears whatever you imagine. God cannot change the past, present, or future. To believe in God, you need to imagine. God does anything you can imagine. God is not male or female. Uma. Okay? One more. Oh, let's go the other direction. Uh, God's, this is my favorite one. Uh, God's got an invisible head and he floats in the garden. One side is night and the other side is day. And God sees the owls and bunnies and butterflies. God also rides a motorcycle, but he's playing hockey in Pasadena right now. <laughs> he can do everything. Came in age eight. Right? Love it. <laughs> Playing hockey in Pasadena, so he's not on the motorcycle. Love it. Um, okay, so those are adorable, right? And, and the creative and wonderful and, uh, and all things kids should be inspired and encouraged to use their imagination. Um, but what's wonderful when it happens when children do it can become problematic if it happens when adults do it. Uh, this has kind of been our theme throughout this whole season of Lent, We've been thinking about our visions of God and um, how sometimes um, we, like kids, just imagine God the way we'd like Him to be without rooting that imagination in something a little more solid like Scripture. Uh, and so we've talked a little bit about some ideas of how we imagine God. We talked about the idea of a, a get-out-of-jail-free God who sort of exists only when we need Him to help us for our benefit. We talked about the idea of a God that doesn't even care about us at all, for whom we are irrelevant. We talked about a God whose um, fundamental characteristic is anger, and a God whose fundamental characteristic is acceptance, right? And all these different visions that we have of who we think God is. Uh, and the challenge uh, is that we tend to imagine God and then confuse our imagination with His identity. And even um, seemingly harmless ideas like God as a superhero um, can end up making us at least confused about who God is and how He relates to us. 
We're coming back to God as a superhero in a little bit. Um, but, but I want to think about what happens in this passage in Exodus 32, because I think what the people are doing uh, is that they are imagining God in a, in a problematic way. So we, we just heard this passage. Moses is on the mountain. He's gone for 40 days, and uh, people begin to think he's not coming back. Uh, and they, I don't know who they is, the leaders, the crowds come to Aaron, the next in charge, and they say, hey, we're giving up on Moses. He's never coming back. He went on that mountain with the fire and the lightning, and that's it. And so what do we do next? Uh, and, and there's something weird that happens in our translation. Um, if, if you have your Bible in, in chapter 32 of Exodus, uh, in the very first verse, the people say to Aaron, come make gods for us who shall go before us. Uh, and, and when you hear that, gods sounds like uh, we're saying we want, we want to become pagans again, right? We want a, a pantheon of gods. Let's go back to all the Egyptian deities. Uh, it's not a great translation. Uh, the, the, the problem here is that word that is most often used for God in the Old Testament is Elohim, okay? And Elohim is actually the masculine plural of the word God, which is El. But most of the time, when you see the word God in English, the Hebrew word is Elohim. And here, the word is Elohim. Okay, so we have a little bit of a problem. The, the translator of our NRSV wants to read this as they want to worship other gods. That's not what's going on, okay? They're using the same names for God they've used for God this whole time, Elohim. And then you notice at the end, uh, Aaron says, uh, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord, to Yahweh, okay? Now, this is why this matters. They're not saying, hey, that God that brought us out of Egypt, who did all those amazing miracles, who parted the Red Sea and um, spoke to us from Mount Sinai, they're not giving up on that God. They're saying, hey, we're giving up on Moses. We want to imagine what that God is supposed to look like and imagine how we're supposed to relate to that God. So they don't break the first commandment of worshiping other gods. They're breaking the second commandment of making an idol, right? Of making a statue of God. Now, and, and they make a statue of a golden calf, which is a little bit weird. We'll come back to that later. Um, and uh, no, let's talk about it now. Uh, so uh, in, in their culture, uh, in the Egyptian culture and in the Canaanite culture, uh, cows are really a big deal, okay? And for all kinds of obvious reasons, right? You get milk from them. You get food from them. They can do work for you. They're, they're, they're an incredible resource. And they're these big, powerful animals. We look at cows and we think, ooh, hamburger. Um, but they looked at cows and they thought, wow, that is amazing and al almost godlike, right? They thought the, the amazing things that cows can do. And so many, many Canaanite cultures and um, some Egyptian cultures saw the cow as an image of a kind of deity, okay? So it's not just that the Israelites are like, I don't know, let's make a statue of something. You want to do cow? Let's do cow. No, like their culture tells them God looks like this, right? And so they say, well, let's make a, a, an idol that fits our culture, the way everyone around us is imagining God. So they make uh, the statue of a golden calf, um, and they, then they say, ah, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. So, two problems here. Uh, the, the, the first problem, of course, uh, is that God has just commanded them not to do this. Right? And the second problem is that they have an image of God already, right? Because the Bible begins 
uh, and the first story of creation by telling us that we are the image of God, right? God is more like you and me than He is like cows or eagles or lions or whatever. Uh, and, and far more like you and me than He is like statues. And, and so, um, this disaster of the golden calf and all of the tragedy that comes after it stems from this problem of, of the people imagining God wrong. N- not an original problem for them. Uh, and so, uh, we jump ahead 1,500 years to the story of Jesus, uh, and, and we begin to understand part of the reason that Jesus came is to help us know what God is like. Um, he is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What if, instead of getting God confused with our superheroes and our cows and all the ways that we imagine who God is, what if somebody came who was like you and me in the image of God, but like the perfect image, who reflected exactly who God was and and what God was like? What if somebody came like that and showed us the, the, the errors of our imagination and the true identity of God? That's why Jesus comes. Jesus comes so we can know God, so we can experience God, so we can see the fullness and bodily form of the one who made us. And and here we hit a snag. We hit a little bit of a problem in our um, thinking about God because what you and I do all the time is we say, oh, okay, Jesus was God. I know what God's like. God is all the omnis, right? He's omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent. He's all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere, and so I know what God's like, and so Jesus has to be just like God. Here's the problem. Historically, we haven't done a good job knowing what God's like. Historically, um, we make up ideas that are far afield from what God is actually like. And so the idea that we already know God and Jesus has to match our expectations gets this exactly wrong, right? exactly backwards. Instead, the idea is if we know Jesus, then we know God. It's not that Jesus is like God, it's that God is like Jesus. Are we together? A huge difference, a huge difference. Uh, and so Jesus comes to correct our um, wrong visions of God. Um, so here, here's what I want to suggest. Every time you read a story about Jesus, I want to suggest at the end of that story, you pause and you say, all right, um, what is Jesus showing me about what God is like? What is Jesus showing me about what God is like in this story? So I, I want to try this this morning um, with the story of Palm Sunday, Okay. So we, we, we know this story pretty well. We've seen it. We've heard it. Um, we know Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, and there's great cheering, and people lay palm branches before Him, and He rides in on a donkey. Um, it's this huge celebration. So I want to ask, what kind of God rides in on a donkey? What kind of God has a Palm Sunday moment? Um, my aunt and uncle... Uh, who live in North Carolina uh, have a farm, and on that farm they have 
Uh, sorry, it sounds like old McDonald. On that farm, they have some animals. E-I-E-I-O. Uh, uh, and I, a couple of them, so they have like chickens and dogs and all that stuff, but um, they have two horses. I got a picture of the horses. Um, this is uh, myself with Michaela. Oh, you can't see Ashley, but she's behind Michaela, I promise. Um, and they're these, just leave it up for a minute. They're these enormous animals, right? Uh, they've, this horse, uh, this is um, Michaela, I'm pretty sure, uh, has a shield over its eyes because the flies are so bad, this kind of protects its face. Um, and you're seeing what this horse does all day long, right? Which is when it's not being ridden, it's eating. Just eats all the time, okay? Um, and I just wanted you to get a sense of, you know, this is a big, strong, powerful animal. You guys have ridden horses before, you know, we're familiar. They're a big deal. Okay, uh, my aunt and uncle also have a donkey. Um, and I got a picture of that. Will you show that one? Uh, this is Mr. Bojangles. Uh, that's his name. Uh, and Mr. Bojangles is quite a bit smaller uh, than those horses. And um, uh, with people that he knows, extremely friendly, uh, so much that he'll eat right out of your hand. Um, and I just, just adorable. I mean, the big ears, right? One of these days, we're going to get a donkey in here on, on, on Palm Sunday. That's my, my main goal before I die. Um, okay, uh, so I just want you to think a minute about what sort of God would say, hey, I don't want to ride in on that horse thing. I want to ride in on this donkey thing. Okay, you can put Bojangles away, although they're not pay attention to me. Um, a couple of things you may or may not know about donkeys. Uh, donkeys are really interesting animals. They're, they're actually uh, pretty smart, but we think of them as really stubborn, right? And we, that's become sort of an idiom in our culture. And they're stubborn for really two main reasons. The, the first is uh, that they have a really strong self-preservation instinct, okay? And, and this is um, very different from horses, right? So a horse can be trained to ride into battle, right, and to attack other animals or other people or to carry a rider that's going to do that. Um, horses are great for war. Donkeys are useless in war because they will not ride into battle, right? They're like, that looks dangerous. I ain't going. Uh, <laughs> you, you cannot train a donkey to be a, a war fighter like you can a horse, uh, which is part of the reason that historically donkeys have been a symbol of peace. If you ride in on a horse, you're riding in saying, I have power at my disposal, right? I, I have the ability uh, to do great violence. If you ride in on a donkey, you're saying, hey, I'm giving that up. I'm not looking for that kind of power. What kind of God says, hey, I'm not the sort of creator of the universe that rides in on a horse. I'm riding in on a donkey. I'm coming in on something that's about peace. And what does that say about God's interest and, and ministry and work with us, right? That God has come uh, not to defeat us, but to save us, not for war, but for peace. Another reason that we think of donkeys as really stubborn animals is that uh, donkeys take a long time to learn to trust their owners, okay? It, it's, a, it's a long process. Sometimes it takes months or you know, weeks, if not, but usually months to train a donkey, especially if you want to ride it because they're just slow to trust. Once you gain their trust, they'll eat right out of your hand, right? They'll, they'll do anything for you. But it takes a while to get that trust established. And it's interesting uh, that when Jesus tells His disciples to get him a donkey, He tells them, you notice He gets a foal, the colt the of a donkey, a baby donkey, right? He wants a young donkey, old enough to ride, but too young to have been trained to ride. 
doesn't have trust in anybody yet. And Jesus says, I'm going to ride that. What kind of God says, hey, um, I want to work with people who are slow to trust me. I want to partner with those people. I want to show I'm worthy of their trust. Uh, One more thing about donkeys. Uh, Mr. Bojangles is a guard animal. Uh, And I know a lot of people are familiar with this, but, but donkeys make great guard animals. So my aunt and uncle have a flock of sheep and um, Mr. Bojangles has been guarding those sheep for, I don't even know, like 15 years, 20 years, like a long time. Uh, and they've never lost a sheep since Mr. Bojangles has been there. Because if a wild dog or a coyote or whatever comes, he'll just kick the heck out of it, right? Um, and, and part of that is because donkeys, once they have that trust established, right, uh, they, they sort of will bring other people under that umbrella, it's, it's really kind of neat, not unlike the way a dog sort of decides that you are his pack, right, or her pack. And I love this idea um, that God chooses to partner with us and, and gives us work to do uh, and this story of building His kingdom, that it's not um, that God simply does it all and we come along, but from the beginning, God has been interested in partnering with us and giving us work to do in this process of redemption and salvation uh, and revealing Himself to us. Boy, uh, we, we could stay on donkeys for a while, um, but there, there's so much great stuff that we begin to discover if we just ask the question, what does the story tell us about who God is? Right? What does the story about Jesus tell us about who God is? Um, rather than waiting for us to come to Him, God comes to us. He doesn't wait outside Jerusalem and make the city come to him. God goes to Jerusalem, just like in the garden. He goes to Adam and Eve after they eat the fruit, just like the the, uh, shepherd with the lost sheep or the woman with the lost coin or the father with the lost son goes to the lost thing, right? God seeks us out rather than waiting for us to come to him. One of the interesting details in this story is in the Gospel of Luke and Palm Sunday, uh, Luke 19.41. Uh, Jesus comes up and He um, sees Jerusalem from His donkey, and as people are cheering and celebrating and laying their palms and coats down, Jesus starts to cry. He starts to cry. And He says, if only now, even now, you knew the things that made for peace. What kind of God cries when he sees his people, when he sees his people straying from the path of peace. Uh, the, the stories that we get of Jesus here and elsewhere in Scripture are stories that don't match our imagination, right? And, and so this is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to give us the right image of God so we begin to understand who this being is, who is beyond us but with us, Uh, who has invited us to be part of His work, who has given us something great to do. Uh, So I want to come back to this um, idea about superheroes for a minute. I got a picture. Will you put my… Yeah, there we go. Um, I'm really not trying to pick on my five-year-old kiddo here who drew the superhero God. Um, But I I just thought it was interesting for a moment to compare the way our culture might think of who God is and the way Jesus reveals God to us. Just leave that up for a minute. Superheroes punch their enemies into submission. Jesus rides a donkey. 
Superheroes fly above the city, avoiding dirt and crowds and ordinary people unless they have to swoop in and save someone. Jesus rides a donkey right down the street in the middle of the crowd. Superheroes have amazing abilities. Like we want lasers from your eyes, right? Jesus has the superpower of making young donkeys let him ride them. Superheroes come to save ordinary people from supervillains. Jesus weeps over ordinary people and comes to save them from themselves. Superheroes are often a one-man show. Jesus chooses not to walk in alone. Superheroes are often invincible or invulnerable. Jesus is the opposite. Very invincible, very vulnerable, although He won't stay dead. If you want to know who God is, you can use your imagination or you can use God's image. Um, one will lead you really far astray. One will lead you right up to the throne of grace. Will, will you just um, go one more slide to the, the Drew's graphic again? Um, I, I love this graphic that Drew made for this series because uh, it's a throne that's empty. And it's empty because we don't want to draw a picture of God necessarily, but also because we're asked to think about who God is, right? Who sits on that throne. Um, the, the Ark of the Covenant was basically a throne, right? It wasn't a picture of God, but a throne upon which they imagined God sitting. And here the question is, um, who do you imagine God to be? And is God the person you imagine or the person that Jesus images? He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. Let's get to know God as we get to know Jesus. Thanks be to Him. Amen.